May the Lord be with you. Throughout this series on becoming like Christ, uh, we've spent quite a bit of time in the book of Philippians. And one of the main themes throughout the Philippian letter is the theme of becoming like Christ. Uh, One of the, the richest portions of this letter to the Philippians is Paul's challenge to us to have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on to quote this very ancient hymn of the church, the Christ hymn, Uh, that even though Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. These words and uh, many others throughout the letter to the Philippians are a call to become like Christ, to live our lives like Christ, to be like Christ. In our text for today, from Philippians chapter 3, Paul speaks about this one calling that he has for his life. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This was Paul's vision for his life, to know Christ and to participate in Christ's death and in his resurrection, to become like Christ in his death and in his resurrection. This was the one thing that Paul wanted his life to be about, and he oriented his whole life around his desire to know Christ and to be like Christ in this way. And so Paul continues then in these next few verses to speak about the effort and the intention that he takes, and that all of us must take, if we want to come to know Christ and to become like him. Uh, These verses, verses 12 through 14, I think could be considered kind of our our theme verse over the last few weeks. Becoming like Christ is something that we must commit to do. It is something we must strive for. It is something that we must intend to do. It's not something that simply happens to us. John Stott once said that Christ-likeness is not a condition into which we casually drift. And I think that that's a good word for us. Christ-likeness is not a condition into which we casually drift. Becoming like Christ is a work of the Spirit in us, but we are never passive in this process. God's grace in our life is not opposed to our effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Let me say that again. God's grace in our lives is not opposed to our effort. Grace is opposed to earning. The very minute that we believe that our efforts, that our spiritual disciplines, or that our good works make us right before God, the minute that we believe that our spiritual disciplines somehow make us superior to others, Uh, That's the minute that we've misunderstood what these things are all about. Understanding God's grace is opposed to us believing that the things that we do will somehow earn our way to God. But understanding God's grace in this way is not opposed to us striving to become like Christ. Paul's words, I press on to take hold for that which Christ has taken hold of me. I am straining toward what is ahead. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is the kind of language that Paul uses to speak about us striving after Christ. 
So in the last few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines and practices that we can engage in as a way to strain forward to what is ahead. We've been using this this athletic metaphor in order to help us understand this. I've been talking about how Gloria is uh, learning to throw a baseball and how she does those motions over and over again that eventually she will become proficient in throwing a baseball. Or about how in my own life recently I've been training to run in a half marathon. In all things in our life, if we want to become good at them, if we want to become proficient at them, we must practice. It is a part of us as a human being to learn and over time and practice how to do things that we want to do. It is the same in our walk with Christ. If we want to become like Christ, then we must train to be like Christ. We must practice to become like Christ. And as we practice, over time, becoming like Christ becomes a part of who we are. This is the work of the Spirit in our life to shape and form our hearts to be like Christ. So the first two practices that we talked about a few weeks ago were the practice of prayer and Bible reading. And then last week we looked at two specific practices where we seek to come to know Christ and become like him in his death. And the two practices that we talked about last week were fasting and solitude. Fasting and solitude were both disciplines that Jesus himself practiced. And these were two practices that the Holy Spirit uses to crucify our own flesh. Disciplines that allow the Holy Spirit to train us in righteousness and to not allow our bodies to become our masters. To not allow our immediate desires to be the things that control us, but instead to allow the Spirit to control us as we practice things like fasting and solitude. As followers of Jesus, we must learn to die to ourself, to die to ourself in the world, and we're given practices like fasting and solitude that train us to do that. What I want to talk about today is that as followers of Jesus, we must also learn how to live, how to learn how to live like Christ. Jesus came to give us abundant life. At our baptism, we died. We were placed under the water as a symbol of dying to ourself and to the world. And at our baptism, we were raised to a new resurrected life. And just as we need to be trained over time to die to ourself, I think we also enter into training to learn to live this new resurrected abundant life. And just as we are given practices like fasting and solitude that teach us to die to ourself and to the world, we're also given certain practices that teach us to live according to this new resurrected life that we have in Christ. There are many of these practices, but today I want to share two of them with you. Uh, Two practices of the resurrected life. And the two practices are hospitality and keeping the Sabbath. Hospitality and keeping the Sabbath. Practicing hospitality and keeping the Sabbath are both practices that enable us to become like Christ in his resurrection. Or as Paul says, to know the power of the resurrection. These practices enable us to participate now in the resurrected life. And as we do them, we experience a foretaste of the kingdom of God that is to come. 
But what also must be said about these practices is that what is required to practice hospitality or Sabbath is also a certain kind of death to ourself and to the world in order to practice hospitality and Sabbath. Death always comes before resurrection. So when we extend hospitality to others, we have to put to death some things in our life. When we commit to practicing hospitality to others, we have to make sacrifices of our time and our energy and our resources for the sake of another. We must sacrifice some of our resources that could be used for ourselves for the sake of others. Practicing hospitality requires us to put to death some things in our life. But as we do that, as we put to death those things, we begin to participate in the reality of the resurrection. We begin to know the power of the resurrection in our life and begin to experience a taste of the kingdom of God as we practice hospitality to one another. And I'll speak a bit more about hospitality in a moment. Practicing the Sabbath is the same way. A death must happen in us before we can participate in it. We have to die to the world's way of telling time. We have to die to the idea that our work is essential. We have to die to the belief that we are somehow in control of our life. We have to die to the demands that other people place on us and that we try to live up to. But as we die to these things by practicing the Sabbath, we begin to know the power of the resurrection in our life as we begin to learn to rest in God, as we begin to learn to trust our Heavenly Father as Jesus trusted in his Heavenly Father. Practicing hospitality and keeping the Sabbath, these are two practices that enable us, I want to say today, to participate in the resurrected life of Christ now and to give us a foretaste of the kingdom of God that is to come. And so this morning, as we talk about these two practices, there are three things that I want to talk about regarding each of them. Uh, First, I wanted to to define what I mean by practicing hospitality and keeping the Sabbath. I think both of these ideas are things that um, are misunderstood by many of us. The second thing then that I want to do is talk about the benefits of these practices. How is it that the Holy Spirit uses them to make us like Christ? How do they give us a taste of the kingdom of God that is to come? And then third, for each of them, I want to give some suggestions for how you might go about practicing them in your own life. So let's begin with hospitality. What is hospitality? I think hospitality is misunderstood in in many ways. Uh, Throughout history, hospitality has been an important part of the Christian life. Uh, and this was mostly because uh, Christian, Christian travelers uh, who were traveling throughout the different cities very much depended on the hospitality of other Christians when they traveled. Uh, hotels or, or inns were brothels more often than not, and they were not places that Christians wanted to go. And so traveling Christians depended on the hospitality of other Christians as they were traveling about and doing their business or perhaps going about proclaiming the gospel. Throughout history, a hospitality meant welcoming someone, usually a stranger, into your home 
and allowing them to use your space and extending friendship to them. And doing all of that without expecting anything in return. So let me just say that again. Hospitality throughout history typically meant welcoming someone, usually a stranger, into your home and allowing them to use your space and extending friendship to them and doing this all without any expectation of, of repayment. This is not usually what we think of when we think of hospitality. Uh, when we think of hospitality, I think often we have two things in mind. Uh, one, we may have in mind the hospitality industry, um, hotels and resorts and restaurants. Uh, the fact is we do not any longer rely on other people when we are traveling. We rely on the hospitality industry to meet our needs for shelter and for food. And as an industry, they're focused on giving us as consumers a certain kind of experience rather than extending friendship. The second thing that we often think of when we think of hospitality is simply uh, the entertaining of friends and family. Now, the hospitality industry, hotels, restaurants, resorts um, are good things, and also entertaining family and friends are good things. But neither of them are necessarily hospitality, as, at least as it was considered uh, throughout Christian history. When I'm talking about hospitality today, I'm thinking about this practice of inviting someone into our space and extending our friendship to them without expectation of being repaid in any way. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And Jesus gives us a picture of the kind of hospitality that we are called to practice. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus was invited into a Pharisee's house for a meal. And Jesus would have been a very honored guest, and so this Pharisee uh, likely was... Uh, thinking that if he invited Jesus into home, into his home, then he would be repaid in some way. Maybe not necessarily by Jesus repaying him uh, with money, uh, but that he would repa be repaid socially, as, uh, he would, as uh, people would see that Jesus came to his house uh, in order to, uh, to share a meal. This Pharisee would have thought that he would uh, increase his honor in the neighborhood because Jesus had come to his house. And I think Jesus recognizes this in this Pharisee. And so Jesus tells him uh, this story in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. It says, Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, um, that is a really nice dinner. When you have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is a picture of resurrected life. This is a description of the kingdom of God. The blind and the lame and the crippled all joining together around the king's table, sharing a meal. This is what Christ himself did as he extended himself to us, his hospitality to us, knowing that we could not repay him in any way. 
But for the sake of friendship and for the sake of blessing us, he extended his hospitality to us. And because of that, the kingdom of God is a place where all of us, who in some way are poor or blind or crippled, can be a part of the great meal at the king's table. Our hospitality that I'm suggesting doesn't necessarily need to be towards people who are physically poor or crippled or lame or blind. People in our culture today are these things in maybe some different ways. People in our culture live very individualistic and fragmented lives, maybe especially here in Vancouver. Uh, There was an article in the newspaper a few weeks ago, um, almost exactly a month ago, and the title of the article was, Alone in the City, Is Vancouver Overly Isolated? And there was a study done um, among cities throughout Canada um, asking questions about friendship and social bonds. And what they found is that Vancouver, in particular, is a place where people experience loneliness and isolation. And the article ends with two paragraphs quoting one of the respondents uh, to this study. And I'll just quote it for you here. This person says, I moved here from Toronto in 1998. At the same time, my good friend moved to St. John's, Newfoundland. The first day she got there, she went down to the corner store to buy some eggs, and the guy that worked there invited her and her husband over for dinner. In Vancouver, in Vancouver, she says, it was nine months before she and her husband, who had been recruited to come here for work, were invited to anyone's house for dinner. She says, quote, we got off the plane and we were totally alone here. I started to remember this and I realized I had just gotten used to it. There are many people in our city who are lonely and need a friendship, And extending hospitality to others is one of the ways that we can reach out to uh, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind in our neighborhoods. And as we practice hospitality in that way, as we seek to invite people into our lives who may experience this kind of isolation and loneliness, we are in that moment participating in a foretaste of the kingdom of God that is to come. There have been many times in our marriage where Katie and I have had the privilege of inviting people, sometimes strangers, sometimes some of you, uh, sometimes neighbors, into our home. Sometimes for a meal, uh, sometimes they've stayed for a week, and some of them have stayed for years. And um, these relationships have been experiences where we have come to know God's presence in a very real way. For so many of us, our homes are seen as places of retreat from the world, places where we escape from the world for the time, and for a time, and in some ways that's very good for us, uh, that we need those times. But when we see our homes only in this way, we are missing out on the great blessing of hospitality. We're missing out on experiencing what happens when we share a meal with someone simply for the sake of friendship. So I have some suggestions for practicing hospitality. And my first suggestion is this. Uh, Just do it. (laughs) Uh, Give it a try. Sometime in the next couple weeks, invite someone, a neighbor, a coworker, someone in your life. Invite them over for a meal for the sake of friendship. 
simply to be a blessing to them. And I would encourage you, if it's physically possible for you, I realize that's not the case for all of you, but if it's physically possible for you, to do that in your own home. Our homes are places where people can begin to see who we are. Uh, when they see the pictures that we've chosen to put up on our walls, when they see the books that we've chosen to display in our living rooms, they begin to see a little bit of who we are. Our homes are places where friendship and intimacy become possible. Maybe you aren't able to prepare a meal. A cup of coffee, a cup of tea will do. Um, Extend hospitality. This will be a blessing for that person. And as you seek to be a blessing to another, to extend friendship to another, I want to suggest to you that this will be one of the ways that the Spirit makes you more like Christ. As you extend hospitality to another, it's, it's one of the ways that you will experience the, the power of the resurrection as barriers that often divide us in our very fragmented city, they start to come down and we are able to experience real friendship with each other. Practicing hospitality is one of the ways that we experience a foretaste of the kingdom of God that is here and that is coming. The kingdom of God is a place where strangers have been brought near in Christ. That's what Ephesians says, that the kingdom of God is a place where strangers have been brought near through Christ. By sharing a meal with another, we have the opportunity to come near to another person who's been made in the image of God and another person for whom Christ died, and to come and share friendship with them. It's a way for us to practice the resurrection, practice strangers being brought near through Christ. The second resurrection practice that I want to mention today is the practice of keeping the Sabbath. Like hospitality, practicing the Sabbath is a much misunderstood practice, I think. Uh, For some people, uh, practicing the Sabbath is synonymous in their minds with legalism and ritual. Uh, Perhaps they grew up in a home where all the Sabbath meant was that we couldn't have any fun that day. Uh, It may have been the home for some of you. Uh, It also seems for some people that keeping the Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that they don't follow or don't think that we should follow. Um, This is one of the Ten Commandments, to keep the Sabbath. I want to suggest to you today that keeping the Sabbath is not about legalism. Um, It's not about being dour and quiet on a particular day of the week. Sabbath is simply a day of rest from our own striving, a day of rest from our work in order to remember God's work in our lives. If you remember in Jesus' own life, he was accused himself of breaking the Sabbath. The religious leaders of his day had uh, erected all kinds of rules around the Sabbath, and Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath, in particular because he healed people. Uh, Can you imagine somebody being miraculously healed and then accusing Jesus of wrongdoing? But that's what happened. Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and he was accused for breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus' response to these religious leaders was this. This is Jesus' main teaching on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for people. People were not made for the Sabbath. That is the key to understanding Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath, and it's a key to understanding our own practices of Sabbath. 
The Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is a gift. It is a day when we are given permission by our Creator to rest, to stop, to cease from our constant activity in order to enjoy God, to enjoy one another, and to enjoy God's creation. The Sabbath is a day, I think, for recreation. The word recreation is recreation, a day for being renewed in our spirit, a day to do those things that God has made us to enjoy doing, a day to allow God to renew us and to remake us. Keeping the Sabbath is a spiritual discipline that enables us to participate in the resurrected life, to come to know the power of the resurrection. One of the ways that the scripture describes our eternal life is rest. The book of Hebrews especially, in chapter 4, describes our eternal life as Sabbath rest. There is a Sabbath rest for the people of God, the writer of Hebrews says. Rest is the end and goal of our life. To rest in God is God's purpose for us. And when we keep the Sabbath now, we are anticipating that rest that is to come. We are remembering now, in the the midst of our frantic and hectic lives, that God has actually designed us to rest in him. We practice now what we will experience one day in our future resurrection. To stop from our work one day out of seven is to remember that it is not our own work that sustains us or gives us life, but that life comes from God. And I want to suggest that keeping the Sabbath is a practice that then can shape us into Christ-likeness as we learn to trust in our Heavenly Father who made us. Keeping the Sabbath has been one of the most important practices for Katie and I in our marriage. We have not always kept it well or as, as intentionally as we like. But we have always, for the eight years of our marriage, set aside one day every week where we will commit to not doing any work that we feel like we have to do. On our Sabbath day, which we take on Monday, I don't check my work email, I don't schedule any appointments, I don't do any work that I have to do. It's been this practice, I think, that has really sustained us in our marriage in a lot of ways. Like all of you, our lives and our schedules can become very busy, And it's been the knowledge that the Sabbath rest is coming some weeks that get us through the week. For many of you, keeping the Sabbath would be an incredibly difficult thing to practice. Some of you work shift work and your schedule changes every single week. Some of you are required to to be on call throughout the week. Our modern urban life really prohibits us from keeping the Sabbath with our schedules and our kids' schedules and everything else. Just because it is difficult does not mean that it is impossible. In fact, because modern life is so hectic, is so resistant to keeping the Sabbath, I think it's all the more reason that we need to resist the pace of our modern life and seek to practice it, even if it requires us to make some sacrifices in other areas of our life. So maybe it is that you work shift work, and so sometimes you work on Sundays, and sometimes you work other days, and your schedule changes. It will require you and your family, your spouse, to make a plan. How will we practice the Sabbath this week? 
someday when you will not do any work that is required of you, but a day where you will participate in recreative activities. Activities that give you life. Activities like taking a nap. Activities like doing some gardening or taking a walk or going to the beach or enjoying a slow meal with others. Keeping the Sabbath again is not for legalistic purposes, to keep a set of rules to somehow earn our way to, to God, to make God happy with us. We don't do it because of that. It's because you've been made by God to rest one day out of seven. Sabbath was made for you. It is a gift from God to you. And I think that we ought not reject God's gifts. You've been made by God to rest forever in his presence. And you are invited now, on one day each week, to enjoy a foretaste of that rest that we will one day experience forever. The Sabbath is a gift from God to you. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, Paul says. We are invited now into certain practices where we participate in this resurrection, where we do things now that we will one day do forever. Sharing a meal with other people for the sake of friendship. Resting in the presence of God. These are two things that we are going to do forever and ever and it is going to be good. Why don't we start practicing them right now? These are two practices that we are invited into by God so that we can experience the resurrected life now, so that we can enjoy a foretaste of the kingdom of God that is to come. And as we do that, to allow our hearts to be shaped, to long for that day when we will enjoy God's hospitality and when we will enjoy resting in his presence.